0: In the 1900s, the elephant population was 10 million, yet today there are fewer than 500,000. Four elephants are slaughtered every hour, that's 35,000 in one year. And in that same period, the rhino population has declined by 95%, from 500,000 to fewer than 25,000, with three slaughtered every day. Imagine having to protect those animals and the people close to them in the middle of a pandemic. Or have you considered working from home during lockdown but not having enough electricity to charge your laptop or mobile phone? Hello and thanks for downloading this first episode of Reset from SAP. My name is Russell Goldsmith and over the course of this series, I'll be speaking with some of SAP's partners from across the EMEA South region to share their inspiring stories and find out how they have coped during 2020's COVID-19 pandemic and importantly, how they're resetting their thinking into how to run their business, engage their teams and reach their customers. In this episode, I head, virtually of course, to South Africa to hear from the non-profit organisation Elephants, Rhinos and People and find out about the incredible work that they are doing there, preserving and protecting the region's wild elephants and rhinos through a strategy that is based on rural poverty alleviation.
1: You know, the US is the biggest consumer of ivory. Um, so you know, if you make a purchase on Fifth Avenue in New York of an ivory trinket, you know, think about the value chain that sits behind it.
0: And then we'll be speaking to WISE, who are based on Victoria Island near Lagos in Nigeria, to hear about their experiences of working with their clients through lockdown and how they are adapting their business to cope with the current climate.
2: Uh, you would have a situation in some areas where you could go a week without any power supply. So you literally have to have uh, your independent, uh Everybody's an independent power generator. You have to have a generator.
0: And we hope that by listening to these interviews, you will broaden your minds beyond your country and learn how other business leaders and innovative enterprises have faced adversity head-on, changing their mindset to build a brighter future. As we journey across the region, I'll also be speaking to some of the regional heads to gain an overview of their learnings and how they have pivoted and adapted the way their business is operating. But before we hear both of those excellent interviews, and I promise you they really are worth listening to, I'm thrilled to be joined online by SAP's Managing Director for Africa, Cathy Smith. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Cathy. I suppose we should start by asking how things are in Johannesburg and the current situation in terms of the uh, working environment. Are, Are you logged on from home?
3: I am indeed, Russ, and it's so fantastic to be joining you today. Johannesburg, still in lockdown, but definitely restrictions are easing up more and more. So we take it one day at a time
0: for those listeners unaware can you just explain the sap region that you look after and also how many people you're responsible for in the overall team
3: so uh, i look after us all of the what we would typically call the english-speaking countries on the african continent and often we talk about it as sub-sahara africa so it would be nigeria as a hub in west africa and surrounding english-speaking countries and Kenya on the east, co- on the eastern side of the continent, surrounded by all the countries there. And then, of course, the entire Southern Africa, as well as the Portuguese-speaking countries. Actually, that's an anomaly. Yeah, we always say English-speaking, but I have quite a few Portuguese-speaking countries in my portfolio. And we're an organisation of just under 600 staff.
0: Right, OK. And we're recording this just as we approach the last quarter of the year. I mean, with everything that's been going on, what's been your learnings so far in 2020?
3: It's so interesting that you ask me this question, Russ, because we've been, over the course of the last six and a half months, always spending time doing a checkpoint and reflecting. And reflection becomes the dominant theme of what we say COVID-19 has brought to us. But actually, when I think about it now, I think what this period has done for many of us is made us have to step up in our leadership roles and to really think about our roles and responsibilities in a much more holistic way. So where before we had a traditional way of engaging staff, we've had to really put a lot more effort and energy into that. The focus around customers and partners has really been heightened, and we've had to really put ourselves in their shoes. And of course, thinking about our, the reason for being, because that's what reflection does. It makes you step, take a step back and say, You know, how do we as an organization truly leave our mark? We will make customers successful, help our staff, help our partner ecosystem. But really, what will people remember us for? So thinking about our purpose and our reason for being has never been more heightened as it is as a result of COVID and the time we've had to take to really think about our business carefully.
0: Is there any specific ways that you've had to adapt the way you operate the business?
3: So, you know, the move from working at offices into remote working has actually for many of us been quite seamless because we're an IT company. Typically, we allow people to work anywhere, anytime. So the swap and the switch was, was quite easy. But as the weeks and the months have gone by, what we've really had to do is think more carefully, first of all, about staff engagement. So a whole new strategy around communications with staff. From an HR point of view in particular, we've had to think about factors beyond the traditional benefits. We've had to be thinking about how do employees cope with the fact that they've got kids at home? How do they deal with the stress of the many long hours sitting in one place? So we've got a big focus on mental and emotional health. It's so interesting because before it was very focused on your physical health, a massive uh, switch towards that. And also creating many more opportunities for dialogue so people could share challenges. How do I cope with uh, my grown up children versus how parents with younger kids deal with the fact that they've got to do school from home? All of those things have really forced us to think very differently about the business from a staffing point of view. And undoubtedly, we've had to change the way we engage with our customers because. Some of them have been pretty much in sync with us in terms of access to to technology and easily swapped to the virtual world, whereas many others have not. And we've had to really find ways to be much more empathetic, I would say, to their circumstance. And another big part of our business change was really to work with customers whose industries have been massively impacted from a negative perspective and really find ways to help them partners and customers to navigate through these challenging times just a a flavor of the kind of things that we've had to adapt in the business
0: we're about to hear from one of your partners at EPUs, but specifically about the non-profit organization that they run which is elephants rhinos and people what do you know about them you know at the moment and, and what are you excited to hear about
3: well, we know them very well, actually. And and Quentin and I have had several conversations, not only at a business level, but also for the Elephants, dinos, and People Initiative, which we are an integral part of. They are a really exciting and 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 partner that really co-innovates with us. But there's nothing better than than that. Looking at how they've evolved in terms of their payroll solutions in sync with SAP, but at the same time focusing on one of what SAP's core focus areas are in terms of our purpose. I am sure many of you will know that SAP really focuses on three key themes in our purpose. I mean, while we talk about helping the world run better and improve people's lives, we make it very practical by saying we do things specific to society. And typically, we would talk about inclusion and driving digital skills. We talk about things we do in business. And we talk about things we do in the environment. So our partnership with FBU's in terms of the environment, conservation, looking at the entire gambit is incredibly important. So um, the the work we're doing and the exciting thing about ERP is not just that it's about doing something that's really good, but that it is able to, to draw the thread between conservation, society, and that's all the people that get impacted by conservation, the impact on business as the underlying theme, And then, of course, a lot of the solutions are powered by technology, and we as SAP are part of that. Um, We talk about how forward-thinking the ERP solution is because the use of drones is part of the new economy. And that is already showing what the art of the possible could be, not just for conservation, but for business and for our world in general. So a really amazing partnership, and we're really excited about the work we're doing together.
0: Excellent. Well, you've queued it up very nicely there. So, uh, so let's have a listen to the interview that I recorded uh, last week. So I am thrilled to welcome the driving forces behind the non-profit organisation Elephants, Rhinos and People, or ERP as they are better known. Firstly, logging on from Boston in the US is Quinton Smith. Quintin is a partner at EPU's, the world's largest and most experienced independent SAP human capital management specialist and a director of ERP. And uh, joining Quintin online from Pretoria in South Africa is SD Smith, ERP's managing director. So thank you so much for both joining me today thank you for having us Russ.
4: hi thanks for having us
0: now before we start our chat with quentin and esty let's just set the scene with a clip from an incredible video that sap helped erp produce that showcases some of their work so the first voice you'll hear is actually quentin's and he is followed by uh, john tager epi uses and erp's ceo
1: A dead rhino is worth way more than a live one. The average price of a rhino horn is about $80,000 per kilogram that they can fetch on the black market. If this continues at this rate, rhinos will be extinct in less than a decade.
0: I wanted desperately to do something about the plight of elephants in the wild and rhinos being killed in the wild. Rural communities surrounding elephants and rhinos in the wild are poverty-stricken for the most part and they don't have choices. So resorting to poaching as a means of putting food on the table, these are not trophy hunters. These are people who are acting in the interest of survival and I can understand that. I felt that we can and must do something about this. If you provide people with economic alternatives to the brutal act of poaching, they will stay away from the activity. Quentin, that's a, a really powerful video. We heard in that in that clip from your group CEO, John Tager, saying how desperate he was to do something about the situation. How does a boutique SAP specialist set about establishing a non-profit like ERP?
1: Well, us, in principle, you change your business model. So EPUs is a SAP partner and we specialize in, in global payroll. But we were founded in South Africa, so the plight of elephants and rhinos was something that just really resonated with us. You know, we lose one rhino every four hours and one elephant every 15 minutes. So, you know, we just decided that we can and should do something about it. So we established and founded this nonprofit called ERP, or Elephants, Rhinos, and People. So what's important to know, though, is that uh, this is not a traditional CSR program, you know, corporate social responsibility program where we would take a, a percentage of your revenue and and give it to a non-profit to do, let them do their good work. Um, you know, what we're doing is we're taking 1% of our revenue, which is a big number for us, and we run this non-profit in ho- in-house, right? So, it's basically, you know, DIY NGO, if you like. And, and you know, what it means practically is uh, one would think that implementing payroll and uh, you know, relocating elephants are two very different projects, but fundamentally they're not. You know, you need a project manager, you need a project plan, you need resources um, and tracking and budgeting and, and so forth. The only difference is you need, a, in the one case, you need a payroll expert, in the other case, you, you need a veterinarian. So, you know, building this institutionalized nonprofit capability and running nonprofits like a business is how we adapted our business model and, and our clients love it when we tell them look we we're still in the ERP business we're now just doing it for profit as an enterprise resource planning but also non-profit as an elephant's rhinos and people
0: yeah clever clever name obviously e- Esther you're you're in you know you're there on the ground in in South Africa running the day-to-day business of ERP can you share some of the initiatives that that you're working on
4: Sure, Russ. So our main focus is through poverty alleviation to conserve elephants and rhinos. So we try to do tactical interventions where we relocate the elephants and we do dehorning of rhino. But what we do on a day-to-day basis is, is manage large tracts of land in partnership with communities that live around these tracts of land. In some instances, they own the land. In some other instances, it's just people that live in these rural um, communities. So on the on the people side we we run cooperatives to create economic benefit from conserving elephants and rhinos um, for these people and, and we have very interesting projects around that. In terms of the technology part of it, we obviously then need to, to keep the animals that we are responsible for safe. Um, so we have got our ERP Air Force program where we use drones and, and ground cameras to monitor movement of people um, in the reserves and then obviously we need to use some AI to determine when a response is actually required and then we have our anti-poaching units that that, um, that that respond to that. We also have a tracker dogs and we've got programs that, that's geared to responding to the AI that we get from the technology and the drones.
0: Okay well, well actually we've, we've got another clip from, from John from your video that goes into a bit more detail about this so let's just have a quick listen to that. So one of the main techniques that we use to recover the elephants is once they're mobilized we
3: lift them up by their feet upside down and then we uh, load them into our specialized wake-up recovery crates. It is considered to be the best practice. It's a technique we developed out of necessity, actually, and we've now moved in excess of 1,500 elephants using this technique
0: with absolutely no side effects. It looks horrible, but it works really well, and it's an effective way of lifting and loading an elephant. Esty, just listening to John there, what what other successes are you having from the program?
4: Well, obviously, when we move the elephants from danger zones, we need to make sure that they move somewhere where they are kept safe. So we collar them and, and track them through our app that's called Find My Elephant. And then we have people that actually work for our for profit business that monitors this. And if they move into an area where they're again in danger, we can keep track of them.
1: I, mean, I can jump in there, Rice. Uh, you know, uh, that's on the elephant side, you know, uh, perhaps just an example on the rhino side. Again, you know, fundamentally, uh, our strategy is the conservation of elephants and rhinos through poverty alleviation, like Esty mentioned. But given the times that we are in and that we are resetting, you know, there's also some tactical interventions that we have, just have to address to get through the short term. And one of these things are, uh, that we do is is rhino dehorning, so where we basically remove rhino's horns in a very humane way you know rhino horn is like a like a fingernail so you know if you cut it off it 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 grows it grows back and this is something that we do and it's been proven to be very effective because we're basically removing the incentive from from poachers it's it's not a pleasant thing to do but it's certainly better than the alternative and in doing so we, we we save their lives
0: i also read if i've got this right that you're doing something with with the bees as well because elephants don't like bees, and so you know, stopping the way that they're they're moving around. Do you, can you expand on on that? Because that seemed really interesting as well.
4: Yes, that's actually one of our people cooperatives that we we create around these areas. So whenever there's a human animal conflict with elephants, it, it usually ends up in problem elephant being moved um, in a best case scenario or, or culled in an in a, in a absolute worst case scenario. So like you rightly said, elephants do not like bees and they just naturally avoid them. And obviously producing honey and selling honey is a very lucrative business um, in South Africa as well as globally, obviously. So we create two hectare Cooperatives and the people that live there that are trying to protect their crops from invading elephants coming to to have a snack on their on their crops. We put up the beehive fence. So it's basically a hive that's attached to another hive a couple of meters away with just with one line. And the elephants, as soon as they touch the line and the bees start buzzing, they just turn around and go the other way. So a very cost-effective way to control elephant movement. And then, of course, you've got some agriculture because the, um, the the bees need the pollen for to, to um, produce the honey. And we bottle and sell that as part of a cooperative. So that's a very, very um, interesting and, and fun um, initiative that we have
0: amazing what about so so obviously we're hearing about the you know the work you're doing for the elephants and the rhinos you, you touched there on the communities you know around it i mean what, what about that that third aspect the people where does that come into play within the uh, the organization
4: so um like i mentioned before the work that we do is mainly on community-owned land and um, also in some state-owned reserves but in 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 community-owned land we are trying to assist the people that live there to benefit economically from ecotourism so that has been our main focus obviously now in during this pandemic things have gone a little bit haywire in terms of our planning. And so what we've been doing for the last couple of months is just a feeding program. That's another tactical intervention. Our our aim was never to to become um, an NGO that, that, that does feeding, but uh, the need is, just becomes so apparent and so immediate when people can't work that we, we had to do that. So that's what we've been doing mostly this year in terms of that. But the idea would be still to eventually create these ecotourism opportunities and all of the economy that goes around that and, and supporting the tourism there and making sure that it is the people that actually um, are invested in, the, in the, the land that they live on that benefit from it.
1: Yes, Esty, and, and, you know, Russ, I, I can just say when, when you witness the impact that some of these initiatives makes on these communities, it's, it's quite moving. You know, there's another example that I, that I can add to Esty's list, which is our ERP bike programme. You know, education is probably the best investment that you can make in any community or in any economy for that matter. You know, we have this initiative where we would donate bikes and bicycles to communities because these children live so far from school that they end up either not going or if they go, they're just extremely tired. I mean, literally walking miles to school and back, and I'm talking of really, really small children, you know, having to go to school barefooted. So, you know, we have this big program that, that that was also launched by a group of cyclists, enthusiasts within our business, Bikes for URP, where we would give these communities bicycles to go to school, and, you know, if the grades improve, they they get to keep the bikes. And there's just some moving stories where some of these students that actually graduated, would take their bikes and, 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 and give it to the next generation or the young kids that's now going to school. And we've some seen some incredible uh, improvements in their in, in their grades as a result of the program.
0: It's amazing. You, you do, I mean you're establishing what 2014.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So incredible amount of of work that and projects that you're working on. How many how many people do you have in the in the team?
1: Well, so you know since it's a, a you know a different business model, everybody in EPUs and in, in in our group is, is is part of the initiative. So you right. know globally we have. Three thousand people, and you know it's exciting to think as a as a consulting firm. You know every dollar that we would invoice our clients, one percent of that is taken to put gasoline in a helicopter tank that's flying over Africa right now to door rhinos and elephants to protect them. So indirectly, the whole group is. But the SD on the ground has a small team, and SD, you can elaborate on that. I think we have a handful of people that does it full time.
4: I think it's eight people that, that does it full time and that's now including rangers and elephant monitors um and, and people that implement our um people projects. Mm. For example, Elliot is a, a waste recycle specialist. So we put up a waste recycling plant and then he negotiates to get people who who informally gather and recycle to so that they can get better prices. So He's becoming quite a, a, a franchise of, of waste recycling plants throughout South Africa. Um, so Elliot is some, someone that works that works for Europe permanently. But like Quentin said, we we really utilize everyone and everyone's skills that we can in the business. For example, our drone program. We have a full-time drone pilot, but we have lots of IT specialists at the, the office here in, in Pretoria. So this uh, one of the schools that's next to one of our drone protected areas, we have a we code program where we teach the kids to, to code the drones. So we, we use our specialists in the, our business to present those courses or to come and attend one of the classes and and, and, and just, you know, hands-on show, show the kids how we build and, and code them these
1: drones. Yeah, so I just wanted to say, you know, and Esty, I don't mean to embarrass you at all, but but Esty is a stellar example of of our model at work. Esty is a superstar SAP success factors consultant, right? So she works on engagements at clients. She's also, you know, a, a trained attorney by 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 education, and she runs our legal counsel business within the group, and she's the director of ERP. So you know, it's just this this beautiful model of where our people are literally hands-on and it's it's not strange to have on your calendar you know, in the morning you have know, a meeting with this client or escalation with that client and then elephant relocation project
0: <laughs> <laughs> incredible well well, actually it, it, it's good to hear the people involved in in the actual team because that kind of leads nicely on to you know one of the key parts of, of this podcast series which obviously with the title being reset is we're looking to find out about the impact that COVID nineteen has, you know, has had on 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 various different organisations. So obviously, on in this instance, on on your organisation. So I was just wondering if we could maybe start with the programs we've been discussing. How how have they been affected in, in this recent situation?
4: And um, so, like I mentioned before, um, just in terms of our anti poaching efforts, people are hungry and coming into the reserve. Um, and and I mean, when I say hungry, I mean. There's no nothing to eat, so people are, um, started coming into the reserves more and more, not to necessarily poach rhinos and elephants, but to to catch something to eat. But obviously, then if the fence is broken down, it, it creates lots of security issues for us, um, and so that's when we started then our feeding program, and we've we've provided over a million meals to people over the past three months, to people that live next to to the reserves that we're protecting. And then and we're trying to use these these initiatives to also just engage on a on a personal level with those people and say, we're trying to protect these animals. Please don't break into the fence let's have a relationship let's see how we can can um, create some other way of sustaining life here instead of resorting to to poaching and so a lot of initiatives have come out of that um, as well so we've we've engaged with people we haven't engaged with before where we're now going to start and doing, um, doing some aquaponics and and agriculture just to to sustain the feeding program once the lockdown is done. And then in terms of our other programs, obviously, the, the, the travel restriction, not just in internationally, but within South Africa has um, changed the, 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 the way in which we can communicate and interact with the people in the, in the areas that we, that we usually would. So that, that, that has been uh, quite a challenge.
0: Has it, has it impacted the actual poaching as well? You know, what's actually happening at the moment?
4: There are mixed reports about it and there are some people saying that um that that the purging has gone down significantly because um obviously because that the the horn or ivory can't be taken across borders but then there's there's other reports saying that it's incre- increased significantly because and um, the, the, the security and and everything around that is is not what it was as well as in big reserves usually there's a lot of people moving around game drives going on there's there's movement and now it's completely quiet so so there are conflicting reports and and i'm not in a position to actually tell you what the truth would be i can tell you that at erp protected areas we haven't had poaching. sure actually we've got a great video showcasing this and if you search for erp community relief program uh, on youtube you should find it
0: what about the business itself has it been financially impacted has has anything changed in terms of communications with your people and partners and and, and obviously individuals have been affected too in terms of their mental health and, and physical health um Qu- quentin what's your thoughts
1: yeah russ i think you know um, we've been blessed and fortunate to a large extent you know we have a large portfolio of clients and through this whole pandemic there's now, there's this winners and losers, and I, I've heard people refer to the beach economies, which is bookings, entertainment, airlines, cruise lines, and hotels. And these people have tragically suffered through this pandemic. But then there's other people who certainly benefited from it. You know, I'm thinking of of Zoom, uh, you know, Netflix, Amazon, and, and so on. So I think one of the things that that we had to learn as a partner and that we had to reset somewhat is is in our uh, ability to move staff between projects, you know, to be really agile. So, so, so I think, you know, being a, a more agile organization was, was important for us. You know, projects are shut down here, new projects are suddenly started up there. And you know, how do we quickly, quickly move people around? You know, I think the, the other thing that, that, that really kind of resonates with our conversation I think all of us are at home now and, and, you know, I can, I can speak for myself, but I'm I'm sure it, it, it counts for many people is that, you know, we're doing a little bit of introspection you know, because you, you know, you by yourself and you somewhat isolated and you think about why you're doing things and, 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 and how you're doing them. So having a, having a clear purpose, uh, I think goes a very long way. So, you know, the fact that we have a purpose and that our, you know, our, Our strapline is going beyond corporate purpose uh, through our ERP initiative. It's something that we we need to push stronger and we need to do more of that uh, so that our people can be aware that, listen, this is our purpose and this is why we are servicing our our clients. Uh, So that would be a, a second one for me. And then I think, lastly, um, I think some of the things that we we, we lose uh, as a result. You know, the, the, this has been the world's biggest remote working experiment, and it's and it's working. Uh, but there's certain things that, that we've certainly lost, and that's the uh, hallway conversations and you know the coffee conversations. So how to bring a bit of a personal element back into into day to day and and we've done a number of, of things. You know, one that just pops up in my mind is we literally have a virtual coffee hour where you can join at any time. So the it's, this hour is allocated for that. And you know you don't have to be there on time. You can join in that window and then talk about anything and ideally not work. So just a little bit of virtual socializing. But you know we've also been experimenting with virtual reality and uh um, having retreats and making it more real and delivering gourmet food to people's houses and you know to to just make it more interactive because you know a lot a lot happens around food and meals. So so we've had to adapt significantly, but I think those would be the highlights for, for for us.
4: I can maybe add to that, when we've, we've done the food distribution, it, it's a, it's a, it was a massive effort to, and, and organization to, to, to get that distributed and, and to the right people and with all of the protocols in place as required by government. And so, I, I mean, with in, in the first delivery, I had this issue where I had about nine tons of food that needs to be unloaded from a truck. And so I was thinking, how, how am I going to get this organized? And I literally just started calling my EPs colleagues and saying, will you be able to come and help? physically unload this truck and then that sort of became a a thing that we would do and people would look forward to it so much to 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 get to get out of the house with a permit and come and unload a truck Um, and it was also very interesting to actually see how all of these system-minded people would show up and 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 just sort of Organically f- create this system very quickly where there's a line and people are, are moving things very fast and where it should go and and so and that 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 was a bit of a positive um, for the for the EPs employees I think the food distribution program.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, it sounds like you've you've really made a real you know as much positive positivity from the situation as as you could. Um, and and it sounds great. One thing I want I just wanted to move on to is how would you say your relationship with SAP has, has benefited the program.
1: In a big way, uh, you know, and we've been tremendously grateful for what SAP has done for, for, for ERP and, uh, you know, on two fronts. Firstly, the technology front, but then also kind of on the business or marketing front. Um, Technology-wise, and Esty alluded to it earlier, I mean, we are using, because we have the, the, on the for-profit side, we, we, we have the skills and the competence in our people, we're leveraging SAP's technology that they've made available to us uh, to conserve elephants and rhinos. Like the one specific example is that we collar elephants with GPS devices so we can track their movement. And, uh, you know, that data goes through the SAP cloud integration into an SAP HANA database, which is part of the SAP cloud platform, and we pull it from there and serve it up in a mobile application uh, that is built in the SAP Fiori network uh, or framework. So, you know, we, we, we use the technology extensively. Uh, and then since we have the in house capability in our for profit business, uh, it, it works well. On the business side, uh, you know, SAP has, has supported us tremendously. Uh, when we were still still frequently at airports, you may recall uh, if you've been to some of the major airports in the world, there was this, this campaign of, of SAP uh, makes the world run better and improve people's lives. So there was this one billboard with a Rhino. Which, which SAP, the marketing team, actually came to South Africa and we hosted them and showed them what we did and, and, and helped them take that picture. But that was on every billboard at every major airport in the world. So helping us to create awareness for what we're doing you know, is invaluable. It's, it's, it's something that, that you know, one frankly cannot afford as a, as, as a, as a non-profit. And then, and then SAP has also really um, taken this too hard. Uh, you know, we have Felicia Tillman, who, who leads the uh, you know in, in the chief for all the marketing efforts at uh, at SAP. You know, helped us to to make it part of the, the, the what SAP does. So they included it as as on the donation platform inside SAP. You know, we've given talks to the SAP Academy where they would train their new people, and uh, you know. Uh, and, and so on. So, really embraced it as a, as a, as a not just as a client, but um, as, as being part of SAP. So, very, very grateful for that. It's been a tremendous partnership.
0: Amazing. Well, if uh, um, if the marketing team at SAP want to want to send us out to uh, record another podcast with you on on, on you know in, in, in the in, in South Africa, we're very happy to uh, to oblige. You're
1: going ha- uh, to have to hand out some meals, for us, but, <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: more than happy to do that. <laughs> um, listen, this has been a, a fascinating discussion. If there was one thing you were hoping listeners would take from this podcast, what 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 would that be, Quentin? I. Well, I have to pick between two, I'd say. Um,
1: the one is certainly just awareness, uh, you know, awareness of the poaching activities that, that happens and that people should be conscious of the value chain behind it. You know, the U.S. is the biggest consumer of ivory. Um, so, you know, if you make a purchase on Fifth Avenue in New York of a ivory trinket, you know, think about the value chain that sits behind it. So um, the awareness would be one thing. And then the second thing is, it's really that, that, a, that a fundamental impact on our business is, is purpose. I recommend to, to, to any business out there to, to have a clear and a authentic purpose. You know, If it's a line on your marketing budget, then you haven't found it yet. I, I know that that has certainly changed the, the way our people view our business. And, and for me personally, it went from getting up in the morning knowing that I have to make a living uh, to going to bed at night knowing that I've made a difference.
0: Yeah, it's tremendous. SD, if, if listeners want to find out more information about the work that, that you guys are doing, where's the best place for them to go?
4: They can go to erp.ngo, but we also have a, a Facebook page and an Instagram page that, that you can follow. That we, we post updates regularly on what we do.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Quentin, SD, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and, and sharing your stories. It's been brilliant to listen to. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're back with Kathy Smith, Managing Director for SAP Africa. Kathy, we heard there, you know, all the great work that ERP are doing. But interestingly, how Estee described they've adapted over the last few months. What, what did you think to what she had to say?
3: Well, I mean, isn't that a fantastic example of what we need in the digital era? I and mean, we talk often about the skills in the digital world being the ability to be adaptable, to be agile, to respond to changing circumstances. And what ST has explained and shared with us is a beautiful example of what they've had to do within the organization and with the program that they're running. And it's so amazing to see the the kind of things she talked about in terms of their staff. In fact, herself and um, the the CEO of FPUs talked about the need to create platforms for staff to come in at their will and have conversations and to feel connected. So I think that really they... They have demonstrated truly what we need more and more of us and and organizations to do is to to adapt to changing circumstances. Because although COVID, I think, has fundamentally impacted the world, we should anticipate many different challenges um, in the course of the years to come. And our ability to be resilient through all these times is really a key requirement. And what Esti and the team are doing with Quinton, et cetera, is, is just a good example of that.
0: Yeah, well, you, you mentioned about the staff there and, and, and obviously you talked earlier about purpose. I mean, that's what I wanted to ask you, because what, what they've achieved in setting up their own non-profit, but then getting all the employees involved is, is pretty special, don't you think?
3: Well, it's, it's so strategic. I mean, they've done it from, from a really authentic and genuine belief in conservation, which is important. But in any strategy, what you have to do, I would say, Ras, is make sure that what you develop is enduring. That is not just about a feel good. And that's what I was saying earlier. What FPUs has managed to do is find a way to connect with the villagers that surround the, the areas that they are looking at, their conservation activities, making it meaningful for them. And I think that's what's uh, what's so amazing about the work they've done. It will be ongoing and sustainable going well into the future because they've fundamentally made it part of the organization, the, the fabric of the organization is become conscientized to what the importance of conservation is and then making it into an organization that can operate in, on its own to make it sustainable is really is undoubtedly special and a really a very strategic move on APU's side.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the show, we're going to hear from another SAP partner now, and that's Wise. Uh, They were, in fact, SAP Africa's 2019 Partner of the Year. They're based in Nigeria, and earlier this week, I spoke with their technology partner, Olu Famalusi, and I started by asking him to give us a very quick introduction to his business.
2: So Wise Group is uh, actually a full-service professional firm that has been in existence since uh, 2009. And apart from the technology service line, which I head, we actually have the audit line, we have tax, we have consulting, and we have outsourcing. And we run out of three offices, two in Nigeria, one in the Cameroons, the Nigerian office in Lagos and Abuja. And the size of the team is currently about 80 plus uh, consultants. And for the Technology practice that I look after it's a 100% SAP centric uh, practice and for us we have actually picked certain solutions which we believe are relevant to the West African market and we've taken those solutions uh, as our go to market touch points and those solutions are the SAP S4HANA flagship ERP product SAP business by design SAP business one all ERP for the medium and the small enterprise we also focused on SAP Success Factors, which is the human experience solution suite, um, SAP Analytics Cloud. And in addition to that, we have actually developed some add ons in house that we have plugged on the SAP platform. And those add ons are in the payroll area. We have a wise payroll, and we also have an investment model that's an add on to, to Business One. So for us, uh, it's a full practice firm, technology practice is SAP centric. And actually, in terms of all of the industry segments that we focus on, it cuts across uh, most of the key industries, consumer goods, oil and gas, uh, financial services and logistics. So that's in a brief, uh, in a nutshell, is, is an overview of the Wise Group.
0: And before we get on to um, talk about some of the things that you've been working on since you know, coronavirus hit, I was actually keen to just find out how the last few months have been for you personally. Well, that's
2: an interesting one. I will have to say it's probably one of the most challenging couple of months I have gone through personally and professionally. I think um, at a personal level, I have literally been away from the family for over six months because my family is based in the UK, but I've actually stayed in Lagos, uh, in Nigeria during the period of the lockdown. And that has been a challenging situation, but it was something that we agreed uh, was necessary and the background to that is we came out of 2019 into 2020 with three projects flagship projects for us we had committed to delivering and the two of them were for players who are actually number one in the industry sector and uh, we had the food concepts project and they are the number one qsr player in in west africa at the moment and we also had the black pelican project uh, they are number one when it comes to high-end interior sort of like luxury items uh, and both of those projects had been commissioned. So when the, via, the, the sort of like pandemic hit and people had to make decisions, there was a natural challenge with those customers thinking that the right thing was for them to pause the projects. And as you know, when you have those sort of strategic projects stopped, getting it off the ground would be difficult. So as an organization, we made a commitment to provide the reassurance to those customers to proceed with those projects, even in the middle of the lockdown. And to do that, you had to have a personal commitment, i.e. They, you had to be there underground the uh, day-to-day, encouraging them to make the right decisions to keep moving ahead. And we're really appreciative because uh, both of those projects have actually now gone live. Uh, they went live to budget on time even in the midst of the lockdown. So, yes, it's until the personal sacrifice, but I think uh, there has been a professional fulfillment from my perspective around how, how the couple of months have gone. So that, that's that's how it's
0: been. That's a huge personal commitment. Yes,
2: it is. It is. It is.
0: Yeah. And, and what about the business? I mean, what impact has, has the current climate had on that? I mean, have you been impacted financially? Has anything changed in terms of communications with, with your people and your business partners?
2: Yeah I think that particular question for me will probably have three layers for me to look at it uh, if I if I give you the perspective obviously we have been impacted just like every other organization but in our particular situation I think we have been thankful because interestingly we had other issues that Sort of like influenced how we had positioned the practice. And I'll give you the background because it's probably quite local to to Nigeria, to the Nigerian context. The last 12 to 18 months, there there has been quite a lot of challenge in our local environment with travel, traffic jam. There there has been a challenge with security because eventually you'd find, and the bulk of what we realized was uh, a lot of our employees were having six, seven hours round trips on a daily basis to get to the office, leaving very early and getting home quite late. The natural outcome from that is you are exposed and therefore we had security incidents and people being attacked and the like. So even into 2019, we had made some decisions as an organization to invest heavily in uh, virtual tools, uh, Office 365 was deployed, uh, a virtual audit solution was deployed. Uh, We invested in success factors and we rolled that out. So there were local challenges that we had uh, had already started priming us to work more extensively uh, remotely. So interestingly, by the time the pandemic hit in 2020, we sort of like had the tools in place for us to switch to the virtual model and still be able to deliver as a business on our commitments to our customers. So for us as a business, I think the pandemic actually didn't have any impact on the operation. We literally shut down probably almost a month before the general lockdown that was announced uh, in Nigeria, and we were still able to deliver service. The other thing is we had already had that background of advising our customers on some of the new ways we were going to be working. So it wasn't too strange for them to also switch with us the way we did. And our people already also had gone through that transformation of understanding what uh, remote working and and the efficiencies we had to bring into that. We had already gone through that before the pandemic as part of all of those investments activities we had done into into 2019. So as a business, we were able to deliver. Uh, The good thing on that is obviously our customers were quite happy with that. And we were actually able to be impactful to them and help work them through the journey that they now had to go through in the midst of the lockdown. So all in all, uh, from a financial point of view, uh, it's it's been a minimal impact because we've continued. And I would even say in our last town hall, evaluating our uh, sort of like customer churn of over 200 odd customers that we have across the group. I think we've only had one customer that has moved away in the last couple of months, and that was a natural uh, auditor rotation that had to be done. So, yeah, we've been uh, quite thankful. I'm not saying we had a crystal ball but I think our local challenges had already uh, driven us to make some decisions that then paid
0: off uh, with the pandemic. So yeah, that's that's where it's been for us. D- did did it create any challenges though? I mean I was I was just wondering in terms of like Given the theme of this podcast, the whole reset theme, have have you had to reset your team and organisation in any way to ensure you know how, how we get through the you know the current situation?
2: Uh, absolutely, I, and we did have have to do that because uh, I mean, like I said, again, we have some some local challenges that are unique to us. So yes, you switch to remote, but then you have to contend with the challenges with the power supply. You have to end with the challenges around data uh, and the, and the quality of connection and the like. Uh, so those are things that we had to actually address uh, with additional investments, giving people data credits as a top-up on their salary package, making sure that we were offering. uh, We also sort of like had a relocation package uh, where we were subsidizing employees who were moving from areas because certain areas have more power supply than others. So we actually provided a zero-interest loan for folks to relocate and move to areas where the power supply was a bit more stable. So these were things that we had to do. Then, interestingly, we also uh, absolutely had to make sure that we had a pulse on how the employees were feeling. So thank you, SAP. Uh, we had a Qualtrics um, offer that was available that SAP rolled out. We used that quite extensively. And in fact, in using that, it was also quite important because we were even able to push that into our customer space. So not only did we use it as a group to make sure we understood what our people were going through and addressing those challenges, we actually also leveraged that particular offering in our engagement and pushed that into our customer space for them to use it. And um, the reality was it, it was really highly appreciated by a lot of customers. And even when we were not having commercial conversations to move opportunities forward, having that engagement, helping them leverage Qualtrics and some of the free tools that SAP provided allowed us to continue some of the conversations we were having with our customers uh, and it kept what you say, kept our pipeline warm. So for us as an organization, absolutely, there was a focus on the employee, employee welfare and bringing efficiency into the way they work for them to deliver the service, but also some of what SAP provided were leveraged even in the customer space. So uh, yeah, it, it, uh, the, the, Current environment did necessitate us changing the way we engage internally and the way we also engage with our customers.
0: Just picking up on, you, you were talking about the power supply. What, what's the issue with, with that then?
2: So the power supply in Nigeria is uh, quite, uh, what would I say, it's very unstable. And it's just the reality of our situation. Uh, you would have a situation in some areas where you could go a week without any power supply. So you literally have to have uh, your independent, uh, everybody's an independent power generator. You have to have a generator. Um, I have two generators because literally uh, you have one that works during the day and one that works at night. And um, that's the reality for a lot of us uh, in our environment. So, yes, you want to work remotely, but the reality is you have to power your phone, power your laptop, so you have to address that and provide the funding for people to buy local generating units that they would put outside their house and put that on every now and again when they need to power up their devices. That is the reality of our environment. I know it may seem very odd to you uh, sitting in the UK, but um, anybody who's in in, in Nigeria or uh, I would say even, even South Africa is beginning to go through that. They call it load shedding because I think uh, that's the term they use. still where we come from. We just say there's no power. There's literally no power. You could go for, I've gone two, three weeks without any power and you're literally running your generator. You have to buy the diesel to power that generator uh, so those are things you have to take into consideration when you are providing a package for your employees. That's very real and very unique to us. So we've had to deal with all of that.
0: Incredible. And and how has um, COVID changed the way that, that you're working with your clients? What
2: we've seen is um, an interesting dynamic. And like I mentioned earlier, we are a professional service firm. What has come to the fore in this environment is um, trust and Where you have a trusted relationship, we found that customers lean on you more, and then there's an intensity in the interaction. And that intensity becomes the fact that you could have an audit client who was typically just an audit client who now actually wants you, because of the quality they see from that experience, they want you to advise them on, so what do I do now? So you become their consultants. They then start asking you the question, how do I move my business to being able to work virtually? So all of a sudden, what we're seeing is an intensity in our interaction multiplying out uh, with uh, the customers we deal with. Not only do they want to talk to you about audit, they want you to advise them on consulting. They want you to fix their technology problem. It's good for us, but it also creates uh, quite a bit of, um, the only word I used to describe is this intensity. So we have to do more. Yeah, we have to make sure that um, all of the touch points uh, that we have with the customer is multiplied out. If I take two specific examples that come to mind, Grace Lake Partnership, uh, JC Deco, uh, essentially they were just a customer that we were providing outsourcing services to. But very quickly when the pandemic hit, they wanted to understand what do we do next? So we all of a sudden started delivering consulting to help them reprofile their business, think of what their next five-year plan will be. All of a sudden, it became the fact that, okay, now we realize we really need to go virtual. We need a platform. And all of a sudden, you have an SAP conversation. So on just one account that you had one service on before, all of a sudden, that customer, because of the trust they have and because of the quality of service, is now looking for you to provide three, four sort of like service Lines to them. And that's just one. We have uh, something a bit similar. If I think of uh, a BPL, uh, they're an exporting firm that are uh, investing, and they came to us as a technology customer. They did an RFP, they picked SAP, we started the rollout, and all of a sudden it was a question around oh, we are expanding, we see an opportunity to expand in this downturn. Actually, we want you to provide us CFO services because they decided they were going to outsource some of their uh, activities to cut costs. All of a sudden, we were providing outsourcing technology, and uh, we're actually advising them uh, in terms of the capital they are raising to expand the business. So there has there has been an intensity. That's what we, that's the we call it, and it's created a demand on us. It's a good challenge to have, uh, but very clearly we are we we have to invest. That's what we've come, and that's something that we see as a natural outcome which is maybe it's a bit strange if you think about it given everything that is happening but for us we are already seeing that we have to out on the year possibly about 100 110 uh, versus the 80 where we're at now we are definitely seeing that we have to out on the year at about 100 110 consultants just because of that intensity
0: in the interactions so so given you know you're working with so many different clients do, do you think people and Businesses are optimistic about the future in Nigeria?
2: I would say so. Uh, it depends on how you look at it. I think um, the people who win are those who have this view of crisis actually providing an opportunity. And I'll give you a very concrete example. I mentioned to you uh, a customer that we have, Food Concepts, that we had, which was one of the reasons why I stayed behind, that they are on a five year transformation program. And one of the first things they did was to put the SAP platform in place. And they commissioned SAP BUID, SAP analytics, SAP Success Factors, WISE Payroll. Those were four solutions they asked us to deliver that we've we've deployed and is now live. Now, as part of their growth plan, they have an intention to multiply or to increase their footprint. They are exited the year at 78 sites. They are now at 110 and they are going to 250 sites. What has happened is prices have dropped on the real estate front. So actually, because of the economic downturn, they are seeing an opportunity to expand at a cheaper cost. Yeah. So that is a classic example of some of the situations as where crisis presents an opportunity. The cost of their expansion has actually reduced. And therefore they're even thinking of going bigger than what they were anticipating. So folks who have the right strategy, who are specialists and who have the right mentality, around how they perceive the current situation, they are naturally resilient organizations and they will continue to win. And the reality is, uh, if you operate in Nigeria, you you already have an inbuilt understanding of these things, issues we deal with, just because of the nature of the challenges we have in our environment. So yeah, the organizations we work with, uh, we have sort of like the same perspective around how we see this. And we see it more of an opportunity where we're saying, look, this is a time for you to assume a dominant position in your space. So the question is how do you get there? What are the strategies that get there, that'll get you there? You know, and that's what we work with with them on. And and I think those organizations will thrive. Uh, absolutely, it will be difficult. Uh, it's you have all of the sort of challenges I've just explained to you to deal with. You also have the pandemic challenges. So the pandemic is just another challenge. If you are in the Nigerian environment, yeah, you already have that mentality of being a problem solver. If you are not a problem solver, you cannot survive in this environment. So the pandemic is just another problem in our environment to solve. And organizations who see it that way will thrive.
0: That's, that's 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 our that's our view. Fantastic. Uh, Ollie, thank thanks so much for sharing all, all these experiences with us. I, I love your positivity and your, and your passion for it. It's, it's really great to hear. And that is, yeah, fantastic, brilliant addition to the thank podcast. Thank you very
2: much for the opportunity.
0: If, if our listeners want to find out more information about WISE and, and, and the work that you're, you're doing with your clients, where's the best place for them to go?
2: It will be our website, and it's uh, www.wiseassociates, and that's
0: w y z e associates.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time to chat to us. Kathy. Olu shared some fascinating challenges that, for me, actually recording this from the UK, I'd never even considered to be an issue. Um, so, for example, he was talking about not having enough electricity to charge your laptop to be uh, able to do your job when working from home, which is just incredible, really. I mean, when you're looking after such a huge region, are you ever surprised by some of the difficulties that uh, companies have to overcome?
3: Well, you know, a little while ago, we were having a roundtable discussion and we talked about the importance of being resilient. And one of the things I said in that discussion was in Africa, you have to be resilient every minute of every single day, because I know for all of us, we get up every day and life will give us challenges we just could not imagine. And so I think it's become part of the way we run or the way we operate is that We need to be open to the fact that the most unusual of circumstances will happen, and we need to find a way to respond to that. And it goes back to the importance of what I think this this pandemic has done to us and has, has forced us to think about as leaders. The most important thing is to put ourselves in our customer's shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of an employee or a partner. Because what may be okay for me or a challenge for me is not necessarily the same for the next person. And that level of awareness of others, I I just feel that we've become far more aware of the fact that the world is not just about one person in one context. It is complicated. It is diverse. I think that's why we just love working on the continent. The richness that we have in terms of our cultures, our ability to contribute. And the difference in challenges that we have is what really gets our blood going because we're constantly problem solving and looking at ways to make things work better for everybody. So I would say, of course, we would get surprised. It always takes your breath away when you think about, oh my goodness, is that a problem that I did not possibly imagine happening? I remember talking to our butcher just a, a few weeks ago And they had remained open throughout the entire lockdown. So you would automatically assume that they are fine, that they are still making their revenues and business is still good. And so one day I asked the butcher, how are things going? And he said, yeah, we are chugging along. It is tough because every single school is closed and they're not placing their orders. Every single organization that buys meat from us for their canteens is closed down. So you almost take a breath away and... Whilst it is, of course, it's surprising. It's just the reality of what we have to deal with. The situations are complex. They, they sometimes incredibly, it's almost like you never imagined it, but they happen. And, and the key thing for us is to remain open-minded, to try and understand, and then to work together to find a solution.
0: I think it's kind of really important to ask those questions, actually, as, as you did, because sometimes people can, they either want to show this oh everything's fine and you know great so it shows you know tries to be positive or sometimes you know they don't feel comfortable saying that they're struggling I think it's really important to ask those questions.
3: You know the other day as well Russ, I was speaking to a customer in the diamond uh, manufacturing industry and for some reason I, I've always thought of diamond as you know organizations see it as an and people or consumers see it as an incredible asset so an investment choice And they were talking about how hard it is for their industry. Now, we appreciate the mining industry in its entirety has been impacted, but it's been particularly bad in in the diamond mining industry, which is core to the African continent, and particularly Southern Africa. And he said to me, Kathy, diamonds are actually a purchase of love. It's an emotional purchase. And so when you're going through a traumatic time like the shutdown and the pandemic that has hit the world, All of a sudden, the purchases just tanked. What you think you can take for granted is just absolutely not the reality. You've got to constantly be curious. You've got to be engaged. And to really add value, you've got to be able to understand context.
0: Yeah. Have you got any kind of really inspiring customer stories of your own, you know, from the past six months that you've heard that you can share?
3: So it has been an amazing six months. And, of course, lots has happened. Um, One of the things that we are incredibly focused on in our purpose, and particularly on the African continent, is around inclusion. And uh, it's something that I particularly am am very strong on, because we look at the fact that many of our economies are struggling, and we've tried many different things to find a way to create economic stimulation within the different economies in our our area of responsibility. And, and, And we've had different degrees of success. And one of the things that we we have a passion for in SAP is is social enterprises. Social enterprises are actually what we traditionally know as NGOs or nonprofit organizations that are in existence to do good. But they've added a revenue-generating aspect to their business so that they can become self-sustaining. So they do good, but they do it with their own revenue-generating income. And for us, inclusion means been able to allow more and more of these social enterprises to participate into the procurement of, of all companies um, in different economies. And so it's it's a very new and early thinking um, concept that we have with, with some really fabulous examples in other parts of the world within SAP and its partner ecosystem. But in the last few months, what has been really fantastic is we again had a mining customer and they um use some of our um, procurement technology. And they've been working with us around how can we provide more access to social enterprises, to small, medium-sized enterprises, because COVID has had such a devastating impact on small organizations that don't have very powerful balance sheets. How do we create a platform for inclusion to get them to participate in the procurement process for many of the big organizations and for me this is one of my most uplifting stories because the customer is wanting to share within their procurement spend we are helping them in the process it's definitely a a partnership between the two organizations around how we can allow social enterprises and small businesses to get onto the radar of procurement of mass of massive organization so that they too can get a share of the pie. You know, we always say the pie is big enough. We want to include everybody so that everybody can get the share of the pie. And for me, it's been a fantastic story about a customer using technology, seeing a bigger picture opportunity to include and us doing it together. That's the other interesting thing about this time, I think, Russ, is the fact that the, the importance of collaboration and the days where we could see everything as, you know, this is a, a customer, this is a partner, this is a competitor, I think they're definitely becoming more and more blurred. And even if we go back to talking about conservation, and what's fantastic about EPUs and the ERP solution is that they're doing good and they're doing good with lots of partners. And the only way we can overcome the challenges, whether it's in conservation or in providing economic stimulation, is if people work together if we truly put the purpose or the customer or whatever the issue is at the center of what we are doing, and we do it in a collaborative way, I think that's going to be good for the world.
0: Yeah, some great case studies and and examples and and good messages there, Cathy. I I want to finish the the episode by looking at the future. But before I do that, I was just wondering in terms of the conversations that you're having with your customers now, have have they changed at all? What, you know, what, what kind of things are they asking for?
3: So more and more, we are seeing and experiencing customers definitely asking us to change our approach. You know, the, the the ICT industry has matured so much over the last few years, and customers have more and more choice. And because there's a very strict focus on a quick realization of value and a quick um, return on investment, the days of customers going through 18-month, two-year or three-year projects before they actually get to see the benefit of the business case that organizations have sold them are few and far between. The demands more and more from customers are they want to choose a a good solution and they want it to be implemented in the best and quickest way possible. And one, one of the fantastic examples actually is WISE. They very recently went live with the customer where they took a couple of our complex solutions, not just one, multiple solutions, and managed to implement it successfully to the customer's requirements within a seven-month period. That's music to our ears. And so more and more, we are looking to how do we support customers to really achieve that one objective, a very quick and effective realization of value. And our partners like Wise have really been a perfect example of that.
0: There's some uh, yeah, nice examples and good messages there. I mean, you've almost kind of led me on to my, my final question. So because I, I, you know, as we bring this episode to a close, I just wanted to turn to the future, which I appreciate is, is pretty hard to predict at the moment. But based on the conversations you've been having, those examples that you've just shared and listening to the stories that, that we've heard on, on today's episode, in your opinion, what does the future look like in Africa for SAP, your partners and your customers?
3: So, if I have to say what I thought, I, I think that in the first instance, Africa, in going into the future, will have a, a plethora of leaders who are very broad thinking, that think about the area of accountability and responsibility being more than just the immediate area of, of scope of work. They, they are leaders that are looking to their staff they look into what's happening in society, they look in at what's happening in the environment, and they, they have that at the foremost in their minds. That's in addition to being profitable, to growth, and to making sure we're running a sustainable organization. And that the way we would do it, every single one of us is by putting the customer first, making sure that you know, we genuinely look to the success of our customers, and that we do it in collaboration with each other. And I, I think that if we have a future where we are driving that ethos in terms of our approach, then of course, you know, the ability for us to take our technology and you know, and SAP in particular, I think the, the the forward-thinking capability we have in terms of how we can help organizations down has never been better positioned. So we'll be able to truly help our customers achieve their objectives and their goals and and it would be definitely in the spirit of how do we make organizations um, organization successful by default how do we make economy successful and then of course society and the environment very much i think for me the future is about that new way of working being pivotal to um to the future of our continent
0: tremendous uh kathy smith thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat to me today
3: very good thank you so much Russ. Take care.
0: Well, that wraps up this first episode of Reset from SAP EMEA South. So thanks once again to Quentin and Esty from ARP and to Olu from Wise for sharing their stories with us. Of course, we hope the podcast has helped in your own thinking about how you adapt your business as we hopefully come through the COVID-19 pandemic. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, then please do give us a positive rating and review. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith, thanks for listening and goodbye.